Hello. Welcome to my podcast. The Mongols. Chinese Emperors. This is Episode 10. The Last Emperor. Last episode, I took a break from the chronology. This episode, I'll pick up the history and the chronology. Let's do a quick review of where we were. We left the history at the end of the War of Restoration and also at the end of the era known as the Mid-Yuan period. The new and latest emperor, the 13-year-old Tolkhon Temer was ready to take over the empire and the dynasty. We also know him as the older brother of his dead brother, Rinchenbal, or as he's also known as Emperor Ningzong. As I begin the final events that ended the Mongol control of China, I want to set the stage. When the 13-year-old Tolkhon Temer took the throne to the Chinese Yuan dynasty in the year 1333, the dynasty was under stress from fiscal problems and family struggles. It did not, however, show any imminent signs of collapse. For sure, there was a lot more going on than the fiscal problems and the family struggles. And I will talk about these. Suffice it to say, for now, the mid-14th century was a challenge for the Mongols. It probably would not have made any difference who was in charge. Tolkhon Temer, the young son of the assassinated Kusala, took his place as the 11th emperor of the Yuan dynasty at the summer capital or palace, in the year 1333. Let me say this. Some histories list him as the 10th Yuan Emperor because they do not count the short reigns of either Yesen Khan, or Emperor Taiding, or his son, Ragaba, the very young emperor that had gone missing and never found. I do not want to get stuck, however, on the proper numerical order of the emperors. Tolkhon Temer took the Chinese emperor named Huizong. His reign lasted 35 years, ironically the longest of any of the Yuan dynasty emperors. He inherited not only the matters I just mentioned, but also other matters I have not mentioned. He had a problem with a system of bloated bureaucracy with a lot of largesse supporting the Mongolian royal families and elites. Tolkhon Temer contributed himself to the largesse. He felt the need to keep the dynasty's two capitals at Beijing and Chengdu. 
These two locations were roughly 225 miles apart, and he faithfully moved the imperial court to and fro between the two sites. It took him 23 days each way, which meant he was on the road every year for a month and a half. Not only were relocations time-consuming, it was enormously expensive. The large entourage was not a good look when so many in China then were suffering from natural disasters, banditry, and poor economic conditions. His story gets even more strange on the question, just exactly who was Tog Hon Temer? He claimed he was a direct descendant of Kublai Khan and that his father was Kusala or Emperor Mingzong. His putative uncle, however, Tu Temer, had years before issued an edict declaring that Tog Hon Temer was not Kusala's son. It was also widely alleged or rumored that Tog Hon Temer's father was really a Chinese man, a descendant of a Sung emperor, no less, and his mother was a Muslim. Sometimes, however, fact is stranger than fiction. It was true that at the age of 10, Tolkon Temer was exiled to an island off of Korea, then at the age of 12 brought to southern China, where he was tutored in Buddhism from a monk. We also know that his putative uncle, Tu Temer, had passed him by for Tolkhon Temer's younger brother, Rinchenbao, while the powers-to-be haggled over who would permanently succeed Tu Temer. Once his younger brother, Rinchenbao, died, soon after taking the throne, Tolkhon Temer was finally chosen as the emperor. But there are rumors he was chosen only as a temporary gesture until a more suitable successor was found. One of the persons involved in selecting the Chinese emperor was a fellow by the name of Bayan, or Bayan of the Merkid. Bayan advocated on behalf of Tolkhon Temer, and for that he was rewarded with the coveted position of Grand Counselor of the Right, a powerful position. Bayan was an interesting person. His ancestors went way back in Mongolian history. They were horsemen to the Khan and his family. Bayan himself was born into a military family. His family had been capable horsemen serving the Mongols in their conquests of Eurasia. Bayan served capably as a military commander in China during Kulig Khan's reign. He was a Mongolian aristocrat of long experience with a deep personal, ethnic, and institutional loyalty to the Mongolian side of the Yuan dynasty. He had also been appointed to various court positions and continued to hold important positions during Ayur Barwada's reign. He's been further described as a traditionalist who wanted to preserve Mongolian culture. Others saw him as a violent autocrat. After, after Tu Temer's reign, 
he broke with his former allies, Al Temer, and instead supported Tolghon Temer in the succession fight. In the year 1335, Bayan executed a bloody coup against the family members of his former colleague, El Temer, and charged him with treason. He then sent, set in motion a series of extraordinary and bizarre events in an attempt to turn back the calendar to emulate the times and rule of Kublai Khan. Huh? What? Did you just hear that right? You did. Why? Well, he believed the dynasty had drifted too far away from Kublai Khan's vision some 40 years earlier. Consistent with Bayan's vision, he instituted changes and reforms. He cut palace expenses to a level they were at at the time of Kublai Khan. He also oversaw programs to help alleviate some of the harsh conditions in China. So far, so good. Then it got strange. Another reform was to reimpose the sharp ethnic separation rules that existed at the time of Kublai Khan. I think they call that segregation. It would also mean attempting to reverse a half, a half century of trends. Bayan did not like the Chinese marriage to Mongolians or the learning of Mongolian language, or adopting Mongolian habits, or wearing Mongolian clothing and colors. He wanted to stop the sinicization of Mongolians and believed the sinicization was one reason the Mongols were losing power in China. He suspended the civil service exams and decreed that only Mongols could hold public office. As Bayan's power and control grew, so did his wealth and his enemies. He became corrupt, and his enemies, as well as some of the royal princes, came to see Bayan as dangerous. There are also rumors, totally undocumented and likely not true, that he proposed to the emperor the extermination of all Chinese in China with the families' names of Zhang, Wang, Liu, Li, and Zhao. That would include about 90% of the Chinese population. Obviously, that proposal was never adopted, and likely it was never proposed. The rumor may have been started by Han Chinese to stir up hysteria and foment rebellions and civil disorders. Finally, his nephew, Tuatua, turned on him, and in 1340, Tuatua executed a coup to remove his uncle, Bayan. And Bayan was removed, and he was banished. On his way to exile, he died. His policies were immediately reversed, but by then, the damage he caused was irreversible, and the deterioration of the Yuan dynasty inexorable. This is probably a good time to mention the conditions in China during the middle third of the 14th century. By 1340, rebellions had started in some of the more remote areas of China. The Yuan government also began to face chronic fiscal shortfalls. Making things worse, grain shipments began to decline from 3.3 million bushels in the year 1329 to 2.6 million bushels 
in the year 1342. Later, I'll get into some of the reasons for the shortfalls. The Yellow River had always been an issue, but in the late 1340s particularly, it swelled because of ceaseless rains causing massive flooding and ruin. The middle third of the 14th century was a complex period of time to catalog and understand. Much of this time, or much of the history of this time, is shared with the history of the nascent Ming Dynasty. Also, by this time period, the cumulative effects of natural disasters, criminality, and civil disorders had begun to take a toll on the Yuan Dynasty. It was alleged that the Emperor Tolghon Temer was more interested in sex orgies than running his empire. It was further alleged he would dress as a Buddhist monk at the imperial city. No wonder by the middle of the 14th century, the Yuan government lost control of many parts of China. China became a hodgepodge of territorial fiefdoms. The Yuan government had lost control of many parts of China. These territorial fiefdoms were controlled by warlords, pirates, criminals, local leaders, and sectarian groups, many of these with religious underpinnings. They operated nearly autonomously. Some of them had been imbued with either expressly or implicitly with authority from the Yuan government. The Yuan government at that stage of its existence was unable to stop or control the local fiefdoms. In her desperation, in order to gain some control, the Yuan government made deals with many of these for cooperation purposes. I could spend a few episodes talking in great detail about these fiefdoms and their leaders. It's a very complex period of time. I will not, however. You get the picture. Just be aware of this. Earlier, you may recall I talked about Bayan and introduced his nephew, Tuatua, who helped depose Bayan. Tuatua was 26 then. He turned out to be one of the most brilliant people of that era. By the time of his uncle's removal in the year 1340, he already had many years' experience serving in various important positions at the palace. It was alleged he was schooled in Chinese and Confucianism. Over the next 15 years, he would serve twice as the Counselor of of the Right. The intention was he would serve one term, followed by another person serving another term, and so forth and so on. Tuotua divided his two terms with another person by the name of Burka Buka. More on him in a moment. Tuotua's first term saw him reverse his uncle Bayan's policies. Tuotua also opened state positions to the Chinese. He restored the civil service examination system. I am understating his capabilities. He appeared to be, at least in his younger days, a dedicated hard worker. Anything he took on, he did so with energy and drive. 
Tuotua pushed a new visibility of the emperor, and in the mid-1340s, Tolkhon Temer Khan issued a proclamation denouncing his uncle Tu Temer Khan and finally purged his administration of Tu Temer's appointments. And then, in accordance with some prearranged time schedule, in June of the year 1344, Tuotua resigned. Or was it? Because throughout China, rebellions and disorder were spreading. It is not clear if the resignation was because of a scheduled event or Tuotua was being blamed for the recent spat of uprisings. Anyway, he was replaced by Burka Bukka, a man completely different in style, background, and temperament. Bukka Burka had been a capable local leaguer, and his task was to fix the messes that the Yuan government found itself. So, in the year 1345, he sent out investigation teams to visit all parts of China, correct abuses, and do whatever was necessary to improve local conditions. The measures, however, were only piecemeal to deal with the multiplicity and size of the local issues. One large problem was that by the mid-1340s, the local officials, warlords, leaders, had the power and ability to derail any efforts by the national government. And the Yuan government could not suppress their power and control. Frustrated, Emperor Huizong, of course that's Toghon Temer Khan, replaced, again it seems on some prearranged schedule, Burka Buka, and installed in his place our old friend Tuotua. The emperor was looking for, indeed demanding, by then, radical solutions to the myriad of problems the dynasty faced. Once again, Tuotua addressed his duties with verve and enthusiasm and publicly declared he was up to the task. He had an aggressive agenda. The first major duty was to find new and more revenue sources for the Yuan dynasty. He immediately without raising taxes, began to print and issue new, mostly fiat, paper currency in the year 1351. The second major project was to tame the Yellow River. To do that would require rechanneling the river so it flowed into the Yellow Sea at a better point than it had been. It was a gutsy, risky, expensive, and never-before-done plan. Tuoto would use the new paper currency to pay for it. He assembled anywhere around 150,000 to 170,000 personnel for the work. And work began in May of 1351 and was completed in December of that same year. In addition, Tuoto would contend with the escalating uprisings that had taken root in China. At the same time as these measures in the summer of the year 1351, in the Huai River Valley region, first one, and then another, and still another, civil uprising occurred. The Huai River is located in central China between the Yellow and Yangtze Rivers. These uprisings spread fast and soon became a nationwide explosion of, of enormous proportions. 
religious sects, bandits, other dissidents ran amok and captured cities, stores, property, and soon began to commit murder. All of these movements came to be what is called the Red Turban Rebellions, a complex movement involving different local leaders. For now, I will leave it here. Think of the Red Turban movements as similar, in some respects, not all, to the Taiping rebellions that occurred 500 years later during the Qing dynasty. In the next episode, I finish this season with the end of the Yuan dynasty and will reflect a little on that dynasty and China. Thank you. It has been a pleasure. <laughs>